How you guys doing? Wow, that was great. That was, that was, that was actually a very good, good. Um, hey, uh, so we have a little test afterwards to see who can get all the languages that were uh, spoken there. There's one there I probably think you might be hard off. Hey, guys. Uh, so this is your first time at Watermark. My name is Tobin. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, yeah, last week I said that. Someone looked at me and goes, well, why do you say that? Because as far as we know, you're like the only pastor here, right? So why do you keep saying that? You know? And I said, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> when we uh, started Watermark uh, a couple years ago, we'll be five years old in two weeks, a couple of us put together this document. It's on screen. You can't see it. I'm just I'm coming out here so you can see a little quicker, closer. And it's basically, it kind of tells who we are and what we do, and more importantly, what we don't do as a church. In uh, our central ministry focus, as we prayed about it, you know, is Ephesians 4. We encourage and equip everyone to actively use abilities, skills, spiritual gifts, and good works for Christ in the advancement of the gospel. We talked about that last week. We said that it's not an accident that you're here, that you're here because this church needs you to be here. You have gifts, you have talents, you have skills that if you weren't here, then you, we would miss out on those things. I mean, sometimes people go, well, I, I want to go over here because I feel more comfortable because there's more people with my gifts there. So, but then you have a gift church that has all the same gifts and not the broad variety of gifts. And, you know, you might be a leg, and if the leg doesn't show up except for every three weeks, then the body's not very healthy, is it? And if you might be a hand or an arm, and if the hand goes, hey, I, I, I don't, I'm new to this. I've got to go read a couple manuals before I be a hand. Well, the hand isn't very much helping the body is it? So we believe that God has you here and you have these gifts and you, these talents as we've been talking about in the church and the church needs you. The second part we talked about are up here on, is our mission. And we just say that the mission of Watermark Community Church is to be used of God in helping people take the next step in their spiritual journey in life to become fully functional followers of Christ. And that's what governs everything that we do, that it's here that you take the next step. We're not saying this is where we need to be at the end, but this is the next step. Step And for some of you, the next step might be just having some of the answers or questions answered that you have here about Christianity. I know some of you are dragged here by friends. You're like, oh my gosh, I have to... But you have a lot of questions. That might be the next step. For some of you here, it might be coming to faith and stop fighting against God and stop fighting against the Spirit and saying basically, okay, I'm trusting you and I'm going forward. And for some of you, it might be finding out what your spiritual gifts are. And for some of you, it might be using those spiritual gifts. And so the reason I say I'm one of the pastors is I really believe that in this congregation there's people who are much more gifted than me in apologetics, and there's people who are much more gifted than me in teaching, and there's people in here who have the gift of pastoring, and there's people in here who have the gift of healing, and there's people in here who have the gift of service. And if you don't do it, then the church is weak, and the body is weak, and people are hurt. And so if you're wondering what your gifts are, you're thinking about it, come and see the staff, and, and we want to help you in this journey and to, to develop those gifts so that you can be a, a fully functional follower of Christ within the body of this church. And we're going to talk about that a little more. We put this spiritual gifts in this week, but next week we're going to have places we need you to serve. And what does that look like for you to serve in Watermark and be a part of God's family one of the things we also prayed about is the churches when we came together that watermark that we would <clears throat> identify all the idols in this world that we'd identify the idols that we struggle with. The Bible says an idol is anything that captures your heart. 
It's anything that you love more than God. It's whatever is precious to you. Whatever, if it was taken away, you'd become angry or you'd get upset. We have a lot of idols in Hong Kong. Some of us struggle with the idols of just education and getting the best grades and taking more classes so we can seem competent to our peers. Some of us struggle with traditions and some of us struggle with families. Some of us cling to wealth and some of us cling to power and some of us cling to sex and our sexuality and some of us cling to control and some of us cling to pride and sports and hobbies and free time and time. Some of our idols are ourselves. Some of us struggle with love. It was 1997, and uh, Christina and I had been married one year. I don't want to know who wasn't born in 1997, please, but I realized after one year that I was in trouble. I was 35. I'd been married to Christina for one year, and I realized something was wrong. I had this crisis of faith in my life, um, I realized that I didn't love her as much as she loves me. I realized, what I mean by that is, I, I didn't understand what love was the way she did. And, and I, was, I was just totally freaking out. I mean, I was just, I couldn't sleep. I was in seminary, I'm trying to take these classes. I had been a Christian for, since I was 10 years old, but I just didn't understand love, and I didn't see and experience it the way that she did. And there goes my name. And, <laughs> you know, I went to my mentor, Dr. Hannah, and I said to him, hey, I, I, have, I have these big problems. You see, I grew up in a family where love was just because people did things for you. You love people because they took care of you. You love people because they made you feel good. You love people because they served you. That's the kind of love I experienced. In my family, love was always conditional. And sometimes love would be withheld, and sometimes love would be withhold, and sometimes love would be removed. And that was the worst as a kid when you really messed up and your parents just removed your love from you. But here in my wife, <laughs> I realized that she seemed to love me just because of me. I know it sounds really weird. I mean, it sounds stupid. I just couldn't comprehend it. And I'm not saying she's perfect. I mean, if you have two hours a day, we can sit together, and I can just share with you all her imperfections. I love you, honey. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is that she understood love, and she had the capacity to do it that was so much different than mine. And I didn't understand love, and I realized that. And I shared with Dr. Han, I said, hey, this is what's going on. And he just looked at me and he lifted, listened to me. And he said, you know, Tobin, the difference of what you are experiencing between you and Christina is just a speck in the totality of the gospel. What you're experiencing in that, differ in that difference in, in love is just a speck compared to God's love for you. But God's love for you is so much greater than Christina's love for you. And I thought about that, and I have to be honest with you, I still struggle. I struggle with God's love. I struggle with the love of Christ. I struggle with gospel-centered love. What does it mean? You know what? The church at Corinth, they really struggled with this also. 
I mean, the church at Corinth was a mess. You know, we've been talking about it for like 12 weeks now. God, for some reason, allowed Paul to plant this church in the middle of probably the most immoral, the most out-of-control city in the world. The city was all about money, sex, and power. And the people who came to Christ and the people who came to church, they still struggled with money, sex, and power. They struggled with the idols of their past, just like you and I do. They struggled with the scars that were on their heart from bad choices that they made in life, just like you and I do. They struggled with pride and selfishness and self-centeredness, just like you and I do. And in the midst of this, because of God's love and his grace, he gives these gifts to this church, these gifts of the Spirit. They're gifts of grace. And there are these empowerments, these supernatural empowerments that are allowing them to do things that people just were freaking out when they did them. And he gave them to them for, for two reasons. The reason was to build up the body of Christ, but the main reason was to bring him glory and to bring him honor. And we're told in the passage that all the people in the church had gifts. That when you come to Christ, you have gifts. And, and everyone in the church had these gifts. They had the gift of prophecy and preaching and serving and ministries and tongues and, and everything. But in their pride and in their selfishness and in their self-reliance, they, they, they pushed away all those gifts and they just elevated three. They said these are the only three gifts that really matter and that everything else is rejected. And so they had this body, this Christian body, like we're supposed to be like a church, and the body was totally dysfunctional, and there was these splits happening in the church, and there was these fragmentations, and people were angry at each other, and only some people could speak the heavenly language, Texan, and everybody else couldn't speak Texan, and there was, that's a joke, okay, but I do think it is the heavenly language, uh, but they could only speak that, and so Paul, in chapter 13, he comes to them, and he reads this passage, and you guys, you, you don't understand that when Paul wrote these letters, this letter to the, the Corinthians, this passage, we read it, and we go, oh, that's so cute, marriage, love, to love, it's so beautiful, but that's not how Paul intended it. I mean, when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, it was intense. And so this passage is so intense, we've decided to divide it up into two sections. So we're going to take a part of the section today, and all I want to do is I want to look at love. I want to look at the importance of love in our life as we go on this journey with God and with each other. And then I want to look at, like, how we get love. What, what does it mean to get love? And then we'll cover the rest of it last, next week, okay? So next week. So this week is love, the importance of it in our journey, and then how do, how do we get it? How do we pursue it? How do we grab onto it? And I have a couple questions, like we've been doing all this time, because... I learn through questions. I don't know how you learn, but I, I learn through questions. So in verses 1 through 3, Paul's looking at this church, and it's crazy. Remember at the end of chapter 12, we talked about last week, he said they're looking at their gifts, and they're misusing their gifts. And Paul says, hey, let me teach you something better. I'm going to teach you something even greater than your gifts. I'm going to teach you something that's even more fantastic. I'm going to teach you something that's going to sustain you even when your gifts disappear. I'm going to teach you love. So in verse 1, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You see, in these first three verses, the church has learned five ways they're trying to live. There's five different lifestyles in this church that the church has been trying to live, and they're all in these first three verses. So when he says this, he says, If I, if I speak with the gift of angels and tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, what he's, he's talking about these people who've come together in a church and they said, hey, we're going to be about these supernatural gifts. We're going to be about speaking tongues. We're going to be about healing. We're going to be about doing miracles. These are the things that are going to center around our whole life. 
we're going to focus on these things and we're going to allow them to impact us and they're going to change us and we're going to be so awesome. And Paul says, if you do that, the Greek actually says, you're just, just a noisy piece of bronze. Now, you don't understand this, but there's, even in this scripture, there's a lot of history here. So Corinth was the center of bronze production in all of Europe. I mean, it was the most famous place to get bronze. If you were in Rome, because mirrors were not made out of glass, they were made out of metal, really metal. And so that's what he says, in the, looking in the mirror dimly, you're seeing this reflection out of metal. But everybody wanted mirrors from Corinth because that was the place to buy bronze stuff. And so the historians tell us that when you went into the center of city, that they were like five or 600 bronze makers, and they were in the middle of the center of the city. And when you walked in there, all you heard was this. <laughs> 500 people just in the middle. Of, you can't hear anything. And historians say if you want to talk to people, you had to get like this close to their ear, and you go, okay, 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 okay. And, but you couldn't hear anything because it was just like, Paul says that's what we're like if we use our gifts and we don't have love. That's what we're like if we're not other-centered. That's what we're like if we're thinking about ourselves. That's what we're like. And he says in the end, it's nothing. And he's not saying that your life produced nothing. What he's actually saying is that your life is nothing. Nothing. In verse 2, there's another group of people, and they've come up, and they said, hey, I, we know how to live. We're going to live by prophecy. We're going to get, we know all of God's mysteries. We know all this knowledge. We have all this wisdom. We have all this discernment. We have all these teaching skills. We just know all these things. We know how to read the Bible. We know how to study it. They have the gift of teaching. They have the gift of preaching. They have the gift of pastoring. They have all these gifts, and they're saying, I'm going to use these gifts to the fullest, and I'm going to do it. And Paul says, yeah, you can do that. But if you don't have love, it's worthless. But you can be the best pastor in the world. But if you're not thinking of other people, if you're not loving other people, if you're not being outwardly focused, it's worthless. It means nothing. Verse 2, there's some people in the church who say this. They say, I have faith, I believe, I trust, I, I have the vision of the future, I can dream. God has given me these intuitions, I know what to do, I know where to go, we're going to do these things. Jesus said, if we just had the faith the size of a mustard seed, we could say to that mountain, mountain, get up, and the mountain would jump up, and the mountain would go into the ocean. So faith is powerful, and it's incredible, and it can control your life, and it can do amazing things. But Paul says, if it's just doing things for you, if you're just serving yourself, if you're not thinking about other people, if you're not helping other people, if you're not outwardly focused, you're nothing. There's another group of people in the church, and they go, well, we know how to do it. This is the best way to live in verse 3. We know how and why God has called it. We know what to do with our lives so that God 
loves us, that God is pleased with us, that God gives us all the things that we need, and this is what we're going to do. We're just going to give everything we have to the poor. The imagery is almost like a piece of bread, and there's picking pieces off and throwing it away. And so this is what we're going to do with our life. We're just going to pick off pieces of our life, and we're going we're to give it to the poor. We're going to serve. We're going to do mercy. We're going to do justice. And if we do all these things, if we give our life away, surely God is going to be pleased with us. We're going to surrender our body. We're going to surrender our body to the church. We're going to surrender our body to ministry. We're going to surrender our body to families. We're going to surrender our body to our, our colleagues. We're going to do incredible, awesome things. And Paul goes, yeah, you can do that. But if you don't have love, if you're not thinking of other people, if your desire isn't outwardly focused, if your desire isn't to enrich and bless the people around you, it's no profit to you. I mean, it might help those people, but to you it's no profit. You gain nothing. You are nothing. Paul says that you could have your name on a hundred buildings. And if you don't have love, it means nothing. The church is kind of deflated, right? There's this passage in Matthew 7, and this passage has kind of haunted me, guys. I mean, I'm, I'm being very honest. All these things we're sharing, we're honest, we're real. That's one of our values in the church. And this, this passage has haunted me for a long time. And in this passage in Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about the end times. And he's talking about the fruit in our lives. And he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit that grows up in our lives and he says that in the end times, people are going to come to him and they're going to go, Lord, Lord, we cast out these demons. Lord, Lord, we, we, we spoke in tongues. We, we, we healed people. We did miracles. We did all these amazing things. We had prophecy. We could understand tongues. People, people were brought back to life. People were healed. We did all these massive things for you, Lord, Lord. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, depart from me. Well, I never knew you. You weren't my child. You didn't have love. You didn't have a relationship with me. And what we learn is without love, there were people who were doing miracles. There were people who were speaking in tongues. There were people who were healing people. There were people who were doing all these great things, but they were doing it in their own strength and through other things that we talked about three weeks ago. And he says these people at the end, they think they're, they're doing well, but in the end, they're not doing well. No matter how gifted you are outwardly, if there's not love at the core of your being, you're just a noisy gong. Does that make sense? You can move your head up and down. Just, I just want to make sure I'm not talking to myself. So in verse 4, when you read the Greek, in verse 4, it's almost like there's this pause. He goes one, two, three, and he gets to four, and it's almost like this pause. And you kind of know what the people want to ask him because he's writing these things, and you have to realize that everything he's saying, the people were doing the exact opposite. That's the reason he's writing these things because they were doing all the things that he's writing against. And so when he says this is what love is, you know that they're doing the exact opposite. And so he kind of pauses and he asks this question. And you know what the question is? What is the question people want to ask then? What's the question? What does the Pharisee ask? The Pharisee asks, well, what is, what is love? What does that mean? What really is love? What does it really mean for me to love? Okay, guys, um, 
my kids are a mess. I'm trying to figure them out. I'm trying to help my kids. And my kids, they're not in here, so I can share this because sometimes I share it and I get in trouble. Um, they're just a mess. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some stuff in the house, and all of a sudden I hear my kids cry and scream. And so I've learned from Christina, because usually I go in and I say, who did that? But I don't do that anymore. I say, so what happened here? Right? It's good, guys. You've got to learn that, okay? So what happened here? So people are more willing to talk. And uh, <laughs> one kid says, yeah, okay, this kid, he hit me. You know who it is, right? It's a boy, right? <laughs> I was going to say the kid who remained nameless, but it's always the boy, right? And so I look at Kip. I said, Kip, do not hit her anymore. Do you understand me? He says, yes, sir. So I go off, and I'm doing stuff, and all of a sudden I hear screaming. And there's all this screaming, and I walk in there, and this time I'm a little angry, you know, and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And KK goes, he hit me. And Kip goes, I didn't hit her. I pinched her. <laughs> I said, okay, no hitting and no pinching. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Okay. So I go back, and about 10 minutes later, I hear the scream. I'm not, this is true, okay? I don't know if your kids are probably much better than my kids, so you guys can come teach me because I, I need help with this. But I come back in, and my, my, my daughter's screaming. I said, okay, what happened? I know who did it. <laughs> she goes, Kip hit me. I said, Kip, I told you not to hit her. She goes, I didn't hit her. I flicked her. So I'm going to go, okay, no hitting, no pinching, no flicking. The question is, does, does Kip want to obey me? No, he doesn't want to obey me. He just wants to find out the least minimal things he can do to make Dad happy. And when he doesn't do that, he tries to rearrange things, and he does these things, and he just does it, right? Kip is a good Pharisee. I, I, I'm a good Pharisee. I read God's word. He says, hey, I want you to, to give. Give your time. Give your talents. Give your money. What's the first question I ask? Well, how much time? 10% of my time? 20% of my time? And I keep going on. and go, well, how much talents? Do you want me to give it all? Or can I keep some for myself? 100% or do I just keep it? How much money? I'm a good Pharisee, right? I am a good Pharisee. I struggle with this. Well, how much money? 10%? 20%? Do I want to obey? Come on, guys. You can be honest. Do I want to obey? No. I see God's word there, and I try to parse it in ways that make it convenient for me, but I don't really want to obey it. I just want to do the least minimal thing so I don't get inconvenienced in my life. And that's my struggle. I struggle with legalism and Pharisees. So if you ask any questions that ever do with percentage, what you're really saying in your life is you're a Pharisee. And you're saying to God, okay, God, I know you want me to do this because your word says this. Love. But what does that really mean? Give. What does that really look like? 
And we're struggling just like the church of Corinth is because we don't really want to obey. We just want to be convenienced in our life. And so it's really interesting because in this passage, Paul doesn't give a definition for love. He doesn't define love and say, technically, in the Greek, this is what love means. Now, he actually creates a new word for love in this passage that's never used before. But he doesn't define what it means. I mean, he doesn't give us his technical definition, but instead what he does is in these next couple of verses, three verses, actually, he gives us about 15 verbs to describe love. So he's not going to give us a definition, but he's going to say this is what it looks like. Now, remember, for the first 12 chapters, the people have been disobeying, they've been bad, they've been naughty, they've been prideful, they've been boastful, they've been rude, they've been proud, they've been self-serving, they've been self-assessed. And, and Paul could just say, stop doing that. Don't do those things. Those are bad things. But he doesn't do that. He just starts to describe love for us. The first thing he says is love is patient. It means long-suffering. It means it restrains itself. It means it actively waits for the other person. It doesn't mean you're patiently waiting on an MTR. It means you're patiently waiting on somebody else, a person. Love is patient. It means that you're slow to anger. It means that you bear other people's faults. It means that you know that people are different than you, but that's okay. It means that people make mistakes, and you cover those mistakes. You don't bring those out into the open, but you try to, to love them. You don't look down on people. And you know, the church hated these words. They hated them. Because we've already seen that they can't wait on anybody. I mean, when dinner happens and the communion happens, two chapters earlier, they're eating up everything because they don't can't wait on people. A chapter ago, they're taking people to court because they just don't want to be patient with people. They don't want to do those things. They had no patience with each other. They always put each other first. How about us? How patient are we? How are we doing with love is patient? The next thing he says is love is kind. Now, if patience is the passive part of love, kindness is the active part. Kindness means that you seek out the good of the other person, that you are proactive, you, you, you have mercy. The Greek word actually means to be helpful. It means that you come alongside people, you help people. I mean, you look for people in need. I mean, that's what kindness is. It's other-centered. The Bible says that it's because of the kindness of God that you and I come to him. That it's because of God's kindness that we are able to see the gospel, that we're able to see Jesus. Kindness motivates people to change. You know that? The Bible says that when you're kind to people, they change. I never learned that in my home. I always learned be tough, be authoritative, get it done, and that's what makes people change, get the job going. But the Bible says that kindness is what changes people. Love is kind. So here's a question. What does it look like for you to be kind? What does kindness look like in your workplace? What does kindness look like in your home? What does kindness look like in church? The next thing Paul says is love isn't jealous. 
He says that jealousy is this eager desire to covet, and it's the opposite of love. It means greed and selfishness. It means that you want to have what other people have. It means that you want to prosper at the expense of other people. And the church was jealous. The church was jealous of their spiritual gifts. They were elevating some. They were despising others. They were, ele- they were, they were jealous of each other's finances. They were jealous of each other's positions. There were a lot of slaves, and there were a lot of masters. All these things struck in, in there, and people were jealous of each other. James is going to say later on in his church in Jerusalem that the problem with the whole church, the problem that the church is having, all the problems is because everybody's jealous of everybody else. So Paul says, love is not jealous. Love is not elevating yourself and putting other people down, but love is elevating other people sometimes at the expense of yourself and you get put down. When I hear that, I go, ugh, that's hard. I don't know if I like that part of love. I don't know if I want to do that. Finally, Paul says this. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Both of these are kind of like the twins to jealousy. Bragging is when you try to make yourself Look good, so other people are going to be jealous of you. And as the focus, again, is on self and on me, it builds me up. And boasting is when you let other people know how well you've done. I've done so well. Look at what I've done. And this was arrogance. Arrogance is taking the credit for it. So we elevate, we boast, and we take the credit for it. And Paul says that love doesn't do that. Paul says that love builds up. Paul says that love builds up other people. Paul says that love is humble. Paul says that love understands that everything you have, everything you have, everything you're wearing, everything at home, everything you have, your family, your kids, everything, your gifts, your talents, your health, everything, everything is from God. Paul says that's what love understands. And when love understands that, it changes. And it becomes meek and mild and gentle. How are we doing? I mean, it's a little different than the wedding verse, right? Now, now, do me a favor. Do not go to your friends at their wedding and go, you know, that verse really doesn't mean what it says it means. Because you're going to crush your wedding day, right? Don't be crushing your wedding day. Now, there's applications for that verse in the wedding day, for sure. But that's not what it means. And I could keep going down for the next 10 things, but you know where Paul's going. You know, you know what he's talking about. He's just giving these examples that we need to go back tonight and look at them, and we need to ask ourselves, well, how are we doing in this? So let me ask you a question. How are we doing with this? Are we other people-focused? Do you realize that everything that you have this, this amazing, awesome gift from God who loves you so much. Do you realize that God gave you all the things that you have right now, your gifts, your talents, everything he's given you, and they weren't just for you, but they were for a body of Christ and Christians coming together on a journey, and they were for his glory? Do all of our actions in our life, Tobin, point outwards to other people? 
Or do all of my actions in my life point inwardly to me? You know, 18 years ago, <laughs> when I left Dr. Hannah's house, it was actually his office at DTS, I started on this journey to try to understand love. It's amazing because, you know, when I first came a Christian, the very first bookmark I ever got in my church 40 plus years ago was this bookmark on love. It was the only thing I had in my Bible at that time. Next week, we hope to give you guys one. We're getting them made right now. This bookmark has changed my life. Because I realized that learning about love and growing in love isn't going to be something that I can do like that. I'm not going to be able to say to God, okay, God, I want patience. Give it to me now. Because love is patient. That's not how it works. But what I've learned in my life is that just occasionally, every so often, at least once a week, I read this. And I ask myself these questions so I think love is patient. And so I ask myself this question, am I patient? I mean, what does it look like for me to be patient with my friends? What does it look like for me to be patient at my work? What does it look like for me to be patient with my family? What does it look like for me to be patient with my kiddos, specifically in different situations in their life? And what does it look like for me to be patient with Christina? And then I ask the question, how am I doing? And if I'm honest, I get hit immediately with this flood of fail, 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 fail. And you know, that's okay. Because we're in this broken world and we're broken people and God is changing us moment by moment. And so all I do is I just confess. I say, God, I'm so sorry that I'm not patient. Will you please forgive me? And then I go to Christina or I go to my kids. <laughs> and, and it happens a lot more than I would like. And I would say, I'm so sorry that I've not been patient. Will you please forgive me? And you know, as I've been doing that over 40 years, God has been changing me. I, I learned a little more about Grace. I learned more about love. I learned more about forgiveness. I learned more about kindness. And so what I just do is I just ask God to forgive me. I say, God, can you give me patience? And I just surrender that area of my life to Christ and say, God, I have a really hard time with this. Can you, can you change me? I want to look like you. I want to be patient like you are. And you know, sometimes, if I'm really honest, sometimes if I'm really honest, it's just easy to live life and to not love. Because things get so busy. You know, sometimes if I'm really honest, it's easy to live life and not love and not look at Christ at all. I don't know if you struggle with that. But what I'm learning is that the more that I see Christ, the more that I see how awesome he is, how much he loves you. Do you know that Christ came to earth for you? Do you know that Christ lost his love from God the Father for you? 
When Christ cried out on the cross, my God, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? What that means in the Greek is that God stopped loving him. God stopped loving Christ on the cross for you. So that he could come back and start to love you again. Do you realize that? And I realize that the more I think about that, the more I think about his love, the more I think about what he's done, the more I think about his kindness, he changes me. He changes us. The passage says that God's love is out of control for you. The only question is, will you accept it? Will you accept it? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you are kind and that you are gentle. That you're not wanting anyone to perish, but you're wanting all of them to come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. And what I realize that there's some of us in here right now who we're still trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. And we've hated God, and we've hated what God's allowed to happen in our life. We've had these dreams and these aspirations, and these things didn't turn out the way they did. Maybe there's loss, maybe there's sickness, maybe there's death, maybe there's loss of something in there. And we're just angry at God because it doesn't feel like he's for us. What I pray for those brothers and sisters in here right now, I pray that you would soften their hearts. I pray that just for a glimpse they would look at the cross. They'd realize your love for them, the sacrifice that you gave, the love that you withdrawed from your son so that you could place it on them. I pray, Lord, that you would change them. Lord, I know there are some of us in here as a church family that we're going on this journey together and we're struggling with this whole idea of love and what does it really look like to be patient and kind and gentle. We want to parse it. We want to give a percentage because we really don't want to give it all. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for our hearts. I pray that you would show us that on the cross your son didn't percentage out his blood and say, okay, I'll give you 10% today and that's all you need. But he gave everything. He gave his whole life so that we might worship and be called your children. I pray for us in here, Lord, that you would change our hearts when we think about love. Correct us where we're wrong. Show us and energize us where we're right. But in all of it, help us just to realize that it's the center of who we are as your people, and without it, we are, we're lost, and you don't know us. And what I pray for Hong Kong as this church goes out, I just think, what would this church be like? What kind of impact would happen in Watermark if everybody understood this passage of love and what does it look like? And what would it look like when we engage people today in our eating in areas we come back to in our homes? And what would it look like tomorrow when we go back to the office and we're practicing these ideas of love? And not because we can do it, because it's impossible. The only way any of this could happen is because Christ is changing us. His Holy Spirit is equipping us. He's gifting us. He's changing us. What would it look like if Hong Kong, if 300 people left today and they 
they were different tomorrow. Well, I pray that you've brought us here to be a church that's on a mission for those who are not in church yet today. And I pray, Lord, that you would just show us that as we go out tomorrow. And Lord, in the middle of all this, we just, we need you. We desperately, we desperately need you. And we love you. Will you teach us what that means? Father, we love you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' holy name. Amen.